You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter and creator of the website MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. In past episodes, we've looked at a number of approved apparitions of the Virgin Mary in the 20th century, including Our Lady of Coapa, Nicaragua, Our Lady Reconciler of All Nations in Batania, Venezuela, and, of course, Our Lady of Fatima, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, today, uh, to uh, close out the month of May, we'll be looking at yet another approved apparition, that of Our Lady of All Nations uh, from Amsterdam in 1945. It was approved on May 31st, 2002, so on today's show we'll be commemorating that historic approval. And we will be talking with the expert on the subject, world-renowned Mariologist Dr. Mark Miravalli, professor at Steubenville and author of many Marian books. And of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world on today, May 27th, in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. To keep up to date with the latest in Miracle News, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, updates on my television series, Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014, any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. Now it's time for Catholic Pub Trivia. Each week I'll be asking a trivia question and giving out a prize for a caller that gets the right answer. This week we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork entitled The Faces of Mary. We've been giving away that image in the past weeks. It's a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady that forms a large, beautiful picture of the Madonna and Child. If you go to MiracleHunter.com on the homepage, you can check it out. Trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia, an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, schools, or religious organizations to host Trivia Night fundraisers at local establishments. And for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. Now, we always try to keep the questions related to the theme of the day's program uh, we're talk, talking, of course, about Our Lady of All Nations, so here's a question about Mary. Today's question is, what is the term for the veneration given to the Blessed Virgin Mary? Uh, to that question, what is the term for the veneration given to the Blessed Virgin Mary? And we'll see if you have the right answer. For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. 
Now, for those just joining the program today, this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. And for more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Well, now it's time to turn to the mailbag or email inbox, as it were, for the question of the day. Here's today's question. Dear Miracle Hunter, what can you tell me of the apparitions happening in Jacarai, Brazil? I am very confused by them. What does the Church say concerning them? Thank you, Teresa. Well, thank you, Teresa, for your excellent question. Uh, This is one that I've gotten a number of emails about throughout the months. And one of the reasons it's confusing is because there are actually two different apparitions in question here. Now, there was one apparition in the 1930s in Campinas, Brazil, to Sister Amalia Aguirre. And there was a uh, rosary devotion that sprung out of those visions, and those have been approved and given faith expression. So the visions are not approved, but the rosary and the devotion is approved. That's sort of a fine point to to pay attention to. And if you go to MiracleHunter.com, you can see the bishop's statement in which he approves this devotion. The second uh, variation on the apparitions in Jacarai happened in Brazil in 1991 to a young man named Marcos Tadó, and that has a negative judgment on it. And from the Dictionary of Marian Apparitions, we have this statement. Father Dimas Lara Barbarossa of the Diocese of San Jose de Campos, fearing it could trigger commercialization, recommended that the Church follow these events, but at a distance. Later, the diocese solicited an analysis of the writings of Marcos. At the time of Archbishop Jose Nelson Westrup, who was bishop from 1991 to 2003, in his diocese there had been several cases of alleged apparitions. So the bishop did not speak directly about any of the apparitions, but published a pastoral note about apparitions and private revelations about how the Church should handle them. It was one of these few clear statements on the subject. According to the bishop, the messages of Marcos have nothing supernatural about them, despite the deep devotion perceived in this young man. So that was a quote from the Dictionary of Marian Apparitions, and uh, hopefully that answers your question, Teresa. Thank you so much for writing in with that question. And if you have a question for the Miracle Hunter, please email questions at miraclehunter.com, and we'll be selecting one question each week to be read on the program. Each week we do a segment entitled 365 Days with Mary. Now for each and every day of the year, somewhere in the world there is a Marian title, feast, or commemoration. And sometimes that's uh, commemorating an apparition or miraculous statue or other, other event being celebrated. It never ceases to amaze me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her throughout the year. Now, this project collects all the dates with their feasts into one resource, 365 Days with Mary. If you look at any one of the entries, it'll feature images, a description, a history of the feast day, along with information on the shrine associated with them, including visitor information and links for those wishing to see these places. This project's available in print in the form of a daily engagement calendar, a daily planner, as well as online at 365dayswithmary.com. We're also on Facebook, where if you like us, and Twitter, where if you follow us, you can automatically receive information about each feast day 
and learn more about how our Blessed Mother is honored around the world. So, be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook, and visit the website 365dayswithmary.com to see the project. The print version in the form of a daily organizer makes a great gift for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady. Now, today's uh, devotion uh, is the Virgen de los Dolores, the Virgin of Sorrows, de Chandavila, in La Codocera, Spain. And that's for today, May 27th. It was three in the afternoon on May 27th in 1945 when a young girl, Marcelina Esposito Barrosa, with her cousin, Agustina Gonzalez, and they were both from La Codocera, they were walking together through the village. They had gone about two miles when, crossing a place called Chandavila, they noticed a strange shape that could be seen in the distance about 200 feet to the right of the road. Uh, she wanted to ignore it, but an inner urge caused her to move closer and check it out. She was greatly astonished when she was able to distinguish, wrapped in luminous rays, Our Lady of Sorrows, half-lifted into the trunk of the chestnut tree there, encircled by bright constellations. Our Lady wore a black coat embroidered with stars, and she had her hands together and had a beautiful face, although her face was clearly sad. The vision vanished, and the girl... Uh, ran to the village along with her cousin, uh, and they acted at first like they had seen nothing. When she got home, she tried to keep quiet, but she could not, and told her mother what had happened, and the word spread around the neighborhood soon. Great excitement rose amongst the people. On June 4th in the morning, on the ninth day since the first apparition, Marcelinita went to Chandavila again, and the Blessed Virgin told her again to return to that evening and that she would be making a sacrifice uh, in the presence of everyone. Um, Marcelina obeyed, and before more than a thousand people, uh, Spanish and Portuguese descent, came that afternoon in procession. When the girl approached from about 200 feet away, uh, very soon was manifested in the sky Our Lady of Sorrows, who gradually came down to stand in front of that same tree, um, as Marcelina saw for that very first time. And Marcelina had more encounters with the Blessed Virgin Mary. She began later, um, at the Virgin's instruction, she began to teach at a religious school in Villa Franca de los Barros, and subsequently she entered a re as a religious in the Congregation of the Sisters of the Cross on August 2, 1975, in Sevilla, where she was dedicated to the care of the sick, the orphaned, and the elderly. And she took the name Sister Mary of Mercy of the Cross. An investigation followed thereafter. Uh, the diocesan curia of Badajoz had not officially pronounced on these facts, but allowed a, allowed a construction of the shrines. So they did not approve the supernatural character, but they allowed the devotion and encouraged the devotion with building a shrine. Every year on May 27th, there is a festive and religious pilgrimage, and many people who attend are from the entire region of Portugal. And that was today's feast. Virgen de los Dolores, who is the Virgin of Sorrows from Chandevila, La Codocera, Spain. Be sure to visit the project 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and online at 365dayswithmary.com to find out more about this devotion or any of the hundreds of other Marian devotions celebrated around the world. This is Michael O'Neill, and you're listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. And for more information on this program or my research on miracles, Please visit MiracleHunter.com. The Lord sent me to Mary.
You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're listening to is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. For those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. And for more information on this program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Now, today on the show, we are discussing an apparition of our of the Our Lady of All Nations apparitions, and that was to Ida Perdomin in the year 1945. We are commemorating today the historic approval, declaring it to be supernatural, given by Bishop Joseph Marianus Punt of Harlem in Amsterdam on May 31st, 2002. And we are talking with the expert on the subject, world-renowned Mariologist Dr. Mark Miravalli, professor at Steubenville and author of many Marian books, including one just published last year entitled Meet Your Mother. We welcome to the show today Dr. Mark Miravalli. Michael, it's a joy to be with you. Yeah, thanks for joining us today, uh, Dr. Miravalli. This is, uh, uh, I know this, this uh, apparition is one that you have a, a great interest in and a, a great knowledge of, and it's one that many people are, not, are still not familiar of just, uh, despite it being fully church-approved. What can you tell us a little bit today about the background of the Our Lady of All Nations apparition? You know, Michael, as you comment, it is rather remarkable that in, a, in, a, in an apparition approved by the Church in 2002, uh, there's, there's few who have heard of it in the West. But I, I make this disclaimer that, you know, you have over 60 imprimaturs, for example, that have been given to the prayer card of the Lady of All Nations. Uh, where do they come from? Uh, typically from uh, uh, countries like um, the Philippines, Latin America, Eastern Europe, countries of, of Africa. So I would say that it's really more in the States and a little bit in the West that the Lady of All Nations has not been uh, as much appreciated, but certainly it has been uh, appreciated uh, worldwide. And I am grateful for your program to do its part to help more people become aware of this approved apparition. Uh, the history is, is really rather remarkable. It brings us back to World War II towards the end. And uh, the Blessed Mother appears to a very normal uh, Dutch woman, Edith Perman, in her 40s, uh, predicts the end of the war for Holland, if people will pray the rosary. And from 1945 to 1959, she appears to this uh, Dutch woman. And it's rather remarkable that the first five six, seven years are packed with what we might call geopolitical predictions, uh, predictions things like uh, that, that, that there will be a, a red flag flying over China. Now, this was in 1945, three years before Mel Tong took over uh, China and communism took over. Uh, prophecies about um, the Korean War. Uh, the, the visionary saw a, uh, like a map, a vision of a map of Korea with a big line going through it. Uh, and this is in 1949, a year before uh, the Korean War, and even predicted you know, further difficulties. And on and on and on. Many predictions about Israel. A fascinating prediction in 1947 about Cairo, that uh, there would be a great conflict that would come through Cairo. And at that time, people thought, well, there's nothing a big war in Cairo. What would this be? Many thought, Michael, that this, uh, in the more recent Arab Spring uh, was the fulfillment of this, of this prophecy. So, and this all occurred in, in the 1940s and 50s, correct? I mean, this was way before any of these things uh, were actually brewing in the world. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you got very good. You've got a guy from the uh, CIA, uh, 17 years with the CIA, who said, 
neither the CIA nor the KGB had any idea of what this woman was receiving from Our Lady and any idea of the accuracy. In fact, uh, many of their you know, conclusions of the two you know, superpower secret services was seemed quite antithetical to this. They had no idea these things coming forward. So these were all prophecies to help people realize authenticity. Absolutely. And and Ida Perdiman, she was a very simple woman, correct? It's not like she had uh, uh, she, she had a big history degree or any sort of uh, foresight on, on what was happening on the world stage. She was a, a very simple woman. What can you what can you tell us a little bit about Ida? Yeah, in fact, Ida or we, uh, in, in Dutch would be Ida. Ida Perdiman uh, was a, a simple woman. She she went okay. through psychological testing, and uh, it was concluded that she was of of a rather dull. Uh, imagination, uh, which is not too complimentary, but that's a good thing when you're trying to uh, support, substantiate the authenticity of something supernatural. Uh, no, she had no degrees. Uh, she was not known for uh, her insights politically, economically. Incidentally, Michael, there's a, a, a an economic magazine in Europe that has quoted the messages of Lady of All Nations because some of the economic prophecies that she made, things like currency wars, uh, boycotts, uh, even expressions that weren't even used in economy in the 1950s are all taking place right now, like uh, the the currency uh, war that's going on with China and, and new boycotts uh, between the U.S. and, and uh, parts of Europe. So even secular economic journals are quoting the Lady of All Nations for the veracity of the predictions that, that Our Lady gave to this very normal uh, Dutch woman. That's amazing. And uh, tell us a little bit about how long the apparitions went on and, and how they developed um, throughout the years. What, what was Ida's uh, response to, to the messages that were coming to her? You, again, you basically have, uh, not exclusively, but predominantly, messages of, you certainly have messages of, of, of conversion and having to return to the cross, and, but, but many social, political, geopolitical messages, things about a man walking on the moon, uh, a lot of things that would capture the secular mind. I find this fascinating. That continues up and through the, the declaration of the dogma of the Assumption in 1950, after which point uh, the predominance goes from the social political prophecies, which are really, you know, again, uh, intended to give people's attention and, and to show credibility, to show authenticity. These are predictions, and they start happening. The second half, I'd say, is the new call for a fifth dogma, for a new dogmatic proclamation. The good Mariologists have pointed out that that doesn't start until after the dogma of the Assumption is defined. Now, why so? Mm. Because that completes Mary's earthly life, the dogma of the Assumption. Now it's a question of what does she do from us, for us from heaven? In other words, the first four dogmas, that she's mother of God, that she's immaculate conception, that the immaculate conceived, that she's the perpetual virgin, that she's uh, assumed to heaven. All those have to do about Jesus and her, but none of those talk about her relationship with us, her relationship with humanity. So only after her earthly prerogatives are completed, then she starts asking in uh, early in 1951, she starts asking to pray and petition for a fifth Marian dogma, precisely that Mary is mother of all people, the lady of all nations. Mm -hmm. She said, you can be translated, lady of all nations, mother of all people, 
under three essential aspects of co-redemptrix, mediatrix, and advocate. From that point onward, Michael, that theme becomes the predominant theme in the Church-approved messages of the, of the Lady of All Nations. Absolutely. And uh, back, to, back to the prophecies a little bit uh, of a secular nature, uh, obviously you are one of the, the premier Mariologists in the world, and you know apparitions as well as anybody out there. This, this is kind of a, a unique thing, isn't it, that so many secular predictions and prophecies uh, were, found, uh, were found in an apparition. I, I know, of course, Fatima, you, you have the discussion of Russia and that sort of thing, but um, can you give us a little bit of a historical context? Have other apparitions addressed uh, secular prophecies in the way that this one has? Yeah, I mean, just claiming your very kind messages, I mean, your very kind comments about uh, being the world's greatest, uh, I'm happy to be a student of Mariology, <laughs> but, but in that, let me say, while you do have uh, kind of a consistency of predictions, things like La Salette, uh, even the miraculous medal, there's the, the, the less appreciated message of, of July, I believe it's July 18th, before the big uh, November 27th, 1830 message, she talks to you about uh, uh, revolt and uprising happening in, in, in Paris. So sure. I would say this. Uh, I would say that oftentimes Our Lady will say something about historic events. But I, I think you're right, Michael, that rarely if ever have there been so many predictions of things right. that would take place before the ultimate request takes place. So, for example, with Fatima, you have the prediction of the conditional Second World War, you have the reference of rising communism, the illumination of the skies, as an indication that you haven't responded to the message. I think what's different in this case, Michael, with, with the Lady of All Nations is, I think these were given precisely to give credibility, so that people would not question the main point of the apparition. So, yeah. you know, as you go through, look, if I can give just one case in point, Michael, um, the visioner herself was going through a period of doubt saying, how do I know this is true? What if I'm crazy? How do I know? Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in, in 1958, in January, Our Lady gave her the date of the death of Pius XII mm-hmm. as a sign. Just gave her the date, told her to put it in an envelope, and um, she would, uh, she could, it could be revealed, give, give it to her spiritual director, and then it could be revealed after he died. Well, up to two days before Pius the, the 12 died, he was still having people in the audience. It was a very unexpected death. And in fact, in October of 58, uh, when he died, uh, Ida had, in fact, received from Our Lady that day. So, again, the point is, these are all to help faith, to, to help people believe, so that when she says, I want a fifth Marian dogma, and without this fifth Marian dogma, we will not have peace in the world, that helps us to realize uh, she's not kidding about that. She's not vague about it. That's exactly what she needs. That this this sharing dogma is a condition for world peace. Absolutely, that that's an excellent point. That gives people faith uh, in the messages, and it allows them to believe and and push forward their efforts for the fifth Marian dogma. And um, now maybe you can explain a little bit to the listeners uh, in the 1978 do- um, CDF. Uh, Doc, um, document uh, the norms of the congregation, which lay out the various uh, types of, of, of judgments that are given in apparition claims. Uh, there's three main categories uh, that, that traditionally we have come to know as far as the church 
approving sort of a wait-and-see category and a negative judgment. Can you can you walk people through a little bit how the Church assesses private revelation? Sure. Uh, let me just make two comments if I can, Michael. First are the criteria, and, and there's you know four pages of, of various criteria that a commission yeah. will look at, but they can really be summarized in, in, in three points. One is the message. Is the message according to faith and morals, as the Church teaches? Number two, the phenomena, things like ecstasy, uh, solar miracles, are those in line with the mystical tradition of the Church regarding things of, of private revelation? And number three, Jesus says, uh, the fruits, the spiritual fruits. You'll know a tree by its fruits. So that's what the Church looks up in terms of evaluating. But after the evaluation, there's a decision, uh, that a declaration that is made. And it's always up to the bishop, although a commission uh, will, will give to the bishop a commission of investigation made up of typically a priest, some psychologists, some, some doctors. Uh, it's always the bishop's call that the commission will give him a recommendation, and the recommendation is one in three categories. Number one, constat the supernatural etate, that this, is, in fact, is of a supernatural character, which is, incidentally, what the Lady of All Nations received in, in, in the year 2002. The second category is non constat the supernatural etate. This means this is the wait-and-see categories you made reference to. Uh, it doesn't... Mm-hmm. It doesn't confirm, it doesn't reject. It says at this time, typically the wording is at this time, we do not confirm the supernatural character. Uh, for example, Medjugorje received this in the 1991 Bosnian Statement. Third category, constat de non supernaturalitate. That's saying that we say this is not supernatural, and that typically carries with it a moral responsibility not to visit the site, not to spread the messages. Uh, this is the church saying, do not promulgate this message. Uh, we are saying it's not of God. So those are the, the, the general categories. That's great. And, of course, uh, you probably know where I'm, I'm headed with this question. And um, on, my, on my Miracle Hunter website, I get so many questions uh, about, uh, about various apparitions, and uh, Medjugorje is probably the, the most I get, and Garabandal is the next. But the next is Our Lady of All Nations, People ask about the history of the approval of Our Lady of All Nations, and of course, it is a fully uh, approved church apparition uh, in the year 2002. Bishop Punt uh, gave his approval, and canon law requires that the that the local bishop is is the one who gives the final approval. Um, obviously, there's there's been a history in Our Lady of All Nations of previous bishops coming up with other decisions than a positive approval. What can you tell us about the history? of the apparition approval regarding Our Lady of All Nations. Yeah, it's a rather fascinating history, Michael, uh, and, 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 and one that um, can understandably bring some to, to one clarification. Uh, you, you have originally uh, a bishop who uh, is in favor personally and, and allows some uh, of the, for example, allows the prayer cards to be distributed, but then there's more of a hesitancy in terms of, of, of writing anything that would be supportive of it, and it kind of goes in a, in, a, in a vague way at the very beginning. Then you have um, a 1974, I believe it's 1974, statement uh, from the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, where a bishop, another bishop has sent a report, uh, he's not clear on it either, um, and the 1974 statement from the CDF is more of a statement of uh, non constata supernatural etate, which is the middle category, uh, and, and discouraging devotion at this stage. Well, then you have uh, the bishop 
that precedes Bishop Poole, the present Bishop of Amsterdam, uh, Bishop Bulmers, he goes to Cardinal Ratzinger, and he discusses the issue with Cardinal Ratzinger, when Cardinal Ratzinger is head of the CDF, and uh, he gets the approval to make a statement in 1996 that people may accept the devotion according to their conscience. And that's why this is kind of a fascinating historical uh, subject. This is kind of a, a middle approval saying, if you, by conscience, want to accept, it's okay with us, uh, mm-hmm. which is just another stepping stone towards something positive, of course. If the bishop thought it was uh, not of God, he would never allow personal conscience to do that. Well, then Bishop Punt becomes the bishop. Bishop Punt has a meeting with Cardinal Ratzinger, and Cardinal Ratzinger says, make a statement. So Bishop Punt in in, indeed makes a statement, and that's the statement of May 31st, 2002, where he declares it of a supernatural origin, Kunstat supernaturalitate. Then in 2006, there was even some interest about the prayer card. There was a, a, a member of the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith who didn't like the phrase, who once was married, which is right. part of the prayer of the Lady of All Nations. Mm-hmm. He, unfortunately, instead of writing to the local bishop, did something a little unusual, and he wrote to a bishop in the Philippines saying, uh, don't, don't, this could cause pastoral misunderstanding. So eventually, Bishop Punt of Amsterdam um, changed that prayer, at least temporarily, changed that part of the prayer. Instead of who once was Mary, he made it the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, and then it is distributed with the support of the congregation uh, through that time. So, it, it, as I said, it's been an interesting history as a, as a, as a student of theology, of Mariology, of saying, well, you got bishops kind of eking towards approval, uh, and then finally it all leads up to what the bishop does in, in a formal way in, in 2002. Absolutely. Thank you for clarifying that. I, I, like I say, there's a great interest in Our Lady of All Nations and as far as the approval process goes, so that was, that was an excellent summary. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. And um, now I know you personally have a uh, great devotion to Our Lady in, in a, an impulse to, to put forward this fifth Marian dogma, and you've... Uh, You've taken that, that as a, a personal personal goal in your life or a challenge. What can you tell us about what the status of that is and what your efforts have been uh, in pushing forward that uh, Fifth Marian Dogma? Yeah, Michael, in a, in a message of May 31st of 1954, and, and as we mentioned, that the whole backbone of the apparitions from the time of the Assumption onward are repeated calls for us, for the faithful, to do two things. Number one, to pray the prayer of the Lady of All Nations. It's a very simple prayer. It's a 30-second prayer. Very beautiful, really. Asking Jesus to send the Holy Spirit into the hearts of all nations to prevent what are, sadly, the headlines of today. Moral degeneration, natural disaster, and war. In fact, uh, the Vatican ambassador of the Philippines uh, had presented on behalf of, of the former president of the Philippines, Gloria Royal, a letter to Pope Benedict Emeritus asking for the definition of this dogma. And in that letter, she said, please do this to prevent my country from natural disaster, which is really rather remarkable for a president. I can't imagine uh, our our present president doing something in that mode. Uh, But in fact, what's happened since that time in in the Philippines? Great natural, tragic natural disaster with with the floodings and the tsunami. So that's the prayer. Uh, That was the first thing Our Lady had asked. The second thing she asked was, petition the Holy Father. She literally says, you should petition the Holy Father for this dogma. And that, Michael, is 
based on a long tradition of petitions in the Catholic Church, whereby we write to the Pope in total respect, saying, please do this. We think it's the right time to do this. We support you if you want to do this. So it's not a democratic power play. It's, it's, it's not a force feed. It's chil- children asking the Father, we'd like to do this. Does this sound good to you? Uh, and right. it's very beautiful. It's, it's got a great tradition in the Church. Uh, millions were sent in for the Immaculate Conception. Millions were sent in for the Assumption. And I think what it does is it tells the Holy Father, this is something I'm not just doing on my own. It's something I'm doing also on behalf of the people of God. Mm-hmm. So that's the second part of what, what Our Lady has asked people to do. And so, especially with this Pope Francis, I mean, you might get a cold call back when you write to him. I mean, it's so <laughs> right. amazing with his spontaneity, but it's really very simple, Michael. People write Pope Francis, Vatican City, and it gets there. Uh-huh. all you need. And, and inside, from the States, it's three postage stamps, but uh, many, many, many people are writing to the Holy Father just to say, we think it's the right time for this Holy Father, and quite frankly, many people think that this Holy Father is the right kind of guy to do it, because they, right. he, uh, Fears no one, and B, he loves the mother, and that's a great combination. It's a good, your dog good combination. And uh, other other than uh, what we what we know of, of uh, Pope Francis as being a, a the, potentially the the right the right pope to, to push this forward, do you, have you have you heard any any movement on this project as far as uh, is this something that we, we, we should expect to happen in in, in recent, uh, recent time or current times coming up or? or or what's your what's your insight on, on the, the the movement on this on this pushing forward? The yeah, yeah, I would say this. I I agree with many who think he's the prime pope to do this, and I, I personally believe, and that's a that's a, just a personal statement. I personally believe he will do it. Uh, I think he understands how critical is Our Lady's mediation, and he loves her dearly. You know, he just, uh, you know, went to the Holy Land, and right before he stopped at Maria Maggiore to offer 15 minutes of prayer and roses at her feet. And I'm assuming he's going to do the same when he, when he comes back, and you know, as he came back, I should say. Uh, so uh, I think he's got a remarkable love of the mother. And you also need courage to, to stand out uh, when you know that something is of God. I think he has that as well. Uh, I know that many people have already approached him, and I, I can't get into all those details. I, I, I've also spoken to him uh, briefly on the issue. Sure. Uh, but I would say, uh, uh, I, I would encourage people to pray. I encourage them to get the prayer of the Lady of All Nations. You, know, you can download it in 50 different languages. Very short, beautiful little prayer. And I encourage people to write to Pope Francis and say, Holy Father, we support you with this. There's already been 8 million people who have done such. Uh, I think it's a great thing to be able to pass on to our kids and, and grandkids. Yeah, I was one of the people that wrote in to, to crown Our Lady with this definition. So uh, I, I would just say, personally, I'm very optimistic uh, that this Holy Father is the one to do it. But I think uh, I say that not with any discouragement to people uh, to do what we have to do, what Our Lady's asked, which is praying that prayer of the Lady of All Nations and sending a letter uh, to Pope Francis encouraging him and offering our support and prayers uh, if, he, if it's his desires to do such. Absolutely. And uh, Dr. Mervali, uh, I know that you... Um are a professor at Steubenville and are the author of numerous Marian books, and you've been writing writing books for over 25 years. And there was a book that just came out uh, last year, I believe, uh, entitled Meet Your Mother. What can you tell everybody about that, that uh, book or booklet uh, that, that you put out? Yeah, Meet Your Mother is a very conversational, it's a small conversational book. And what I had in mind, Michael, was, was two things. One, a Catholic who really wants to know their faith, but maybe just has a little gap 
in terms of, of the truth about Mary. They may have a devotion, they pray the rosary, or maybe they're falling away and getting back into it, but they really don't feel secure in terms of defending the Immaculate Conception or knowing what the Assumption is or why she's a perpetual virgin. So that was person one in mind with this book. And uh, person two was actually um, our Protestant brothers and sisters. Uh, I wrote this book with no pre-knowledge of the Catholic faith at all, so that uh, if someone wanted to give this book to an individual, uh, they, could, they could do so. It's a, you know, it's a $10 book. We sell it on our motherofallpeople.com um, website, and um, hopefully it does some, some good in terms of filling in gaps regarding the basic elements. We also have a section on private revelation and Lourdes and Fatima and uh, a chapter on the Fifth Marian Dogma, just so people are up to speed about what's really happening in the Church right now. Yep, and I think you, you bring up an excellent point uh, about sometimes Mary can be a stumbling block for Protestants or those who are looking to enter the Church, uh, but, but have a stumbling block with Mary. So this book, um, Meet Your Mother, could be, could be an entree in, into that. And um, as long as I've got you on the line here, I, I know that mediation is a very tricky point for, uh, for Protestants um, with, with regards to, to Mary. Can you can you give just uh, a very simple uh, maybe there's no simple very simple line but what would you say to the Protestant who says the fifth Marian dogma makes no sense or mediation Christ is the one mediator what what is the what is the way that we should talk to our, our Protestant friends regarding uh, the fifth Marian dogma and the mediation of of Mary Yeah well I think St John Paul II uh, that's got a great ring to it doesn't it I think St John yeah. Paul II <laughs> Uh, really was the master of this. And, and what he said is, exactly, go to 1 Timothy 2.5. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And the first thing we have to say is, yes, amen, hallelujah to that. We completely agree with that. Yes. What does it mean? Does it mean exclusive? No. As, as St. John Paul II taught, that the one mediation of Jesus does not exclude other secondary mediators to participate in his one mediation. Um, we have in the Old Testament prophets, patriarchs, angels, all who participate in the one mediation of God uh, in the Old Testament, the one, the one mediation in, in, in being a mediator between God and man. Well, then Jesus comes in, but we don't get rid of the angels. We don't get rid of the intercession of the saints. We've got the intercession of saints rising like incense in the book of Revelation. Right. So it's that Jesus makes it possible to intercede one for another. Before you get 1 Timothy 2.5, Michael, there's 1 Timothy 2.1 which is where St. Paul calls us to be intercessors and supplicators one for another. Well, that's, as John Paul says, isn't that a form of mediation? So Mary does it better than anyone else. She's the right. first who participates in that one mediation. And so I, so in terms of the Fifth Marian Dogma, what, what our good mothers were to us, Mary is to the world. And, and our good mothers did three things. They suffered for us, they interceded for us, uh, and they also nourished us. That's Mary. She's the COVID empress. She suffers with Jesus to obtain grace. Secondly, she's mediatrix of all graces. She nourishes us in a spiritual order with grace. Thirdly, she's the advocate. She intercedes. She pleads on our behalf. Uh, and that's why I think it pleases Jesus that the mother would be acknowledged for exactly what she has been and what she is, uh, our, the, the spiritual mother of all peoples. Absolutely. I knew, I knew you could put it very well and very succinctly. That, that's an excellent way to, to look at it. And for people who are interested in learning more about the Fifth Marian Dogma, um, you have a, a website uh, that they can go to? 
We do. Uh, we have two. One is motheroforpeople.com, and on that, we've got 30 or 40 articles on the Fifth Marian Dogma. Uh, another is just fifthmariandogma.com, and then you can, get, you can see Mother Teresa's letter of endorsement, Mother Angelica's, uh, 550 bishops, 50 cardinals, uh, the whole history. This is almost 100 years old, Michael, as I know that you know, yeah. uh, started by Cardinal Mercier back in 1915. So this is a movement that didn't come out of a private revelation. This is a movement that's been in the Church 100 years, and a private revelation just confirmed the movement. So yeah. um, you go to Fifth Mary Dogma or motheroforpeoples.com. If anybody's interested in the Little Meet Your Mother book, uh, you can order right on that motheroforpeoples.com as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Miravalli. Uh, you've been very insightful, and I'm sure people will be visiting that site to find out more about the Fifth Marian Dogma. So thanks for, so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Michael. God bless you and all the great work you do with, uh, with the, with the uh, Miracle Hunters. It's really uh, a service to the Church. Thank you very much. God bless you. God bless. And that was Dr. Mark Miravalli, a professor at Steubenville and Mariologist uh, extraordinaire. Uh, he has the website... Uh, motherofallpeoples.com. Please check that out. Find out more about the Fifth Marian Dogma. And we'll answer our Catholic pub trivia question from earlier in the show. The question was, uh, what is the term for the veneration given to the Blessed Virgin Mary? The answer is hyperdulia. So that's, that's the answer. Uh, dulia is the veneration given to the saints. Hyperdulia is the veneration given to our Blessed Mother. Uh, for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. And that's all the time we have for today's show. I'd like to thank our guest, author and professor Dr. Mark Mirvalli, for joining us today. Be sure to visit MiracleHunter.com as your resource for miracles and keep up to date with how Our Lady is honored around the world at 365dayswithmary.com. Thank you for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.